0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing, New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 10 through 13 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Excited about this lesson, and I know it's only a front and back, but just because it's front and back, don't let that like you know fool you. I can still preach for 88 minutes. Minus 44. Yeah, figure that out. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go ahead and start in verse number 1, follow along, uh, kind of review a little bit what we talked about last week. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. <laughs> for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles... Uh, let me ask this question, kind of a little review question. What was Paul getting ready to do when he opened this portion of the letter? Anybody remember, what was he getting ready to do? And then he kind of sidetracked a little bit. Anybody remember? What was he getting ready to do? Yes, very good. He was getting ready to pray. And uh, in a sense, he got a little sidetracked, but he just wanted to uh, help them understand a couple things. So really, Uh, Verses 2 through 13 is kind of a a paraphrase uh, because he starts his prayer, For this cause I, Paul, and then he he finishes in verse number 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But verse number (coughs) 2, Excuse me, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery of Uh, What is a mystery in the Bible? What is a mystery in the Bible? Anybody? Truth, yes. But you also said it too? Yes. Sacred secret. That's what we had said. Remember, it's something that hadn't yet been revealed, uh, but would be revealed at a later time. And God had revealed this mystery, this truth, which is true, uh, this sacred secret to Paul to give to the Gentiles, to give to us. Uh, "...whereby when when you read," verse 4, "...you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, talking about time past, was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs." This is a great thing that he's been talking about the whole book thus far. "...that everything the Gentiles get, uh, or sorry, everything the Jews get, everything uh, Jesus gets, if you're saved, if you're a child of God, the Gentiles get as well." Which is a great thing, uh, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I am made a minister uh, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least. Paul really didn't consider himself that great of a person, especially everything that he did, but he realized that everything he was was by the grace of God. And I know everything I am is by the grace of God, and I'm so thankful for God's grace is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, and I love this phrase in verse number eight, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And really when you study out that word unsearchable, basically it's talking about untraceable because we couldn't even trace uh, the past mystery even in the Old Testament. This is something that's new, that's being revealed uh, to to those that were in uh, Paul's day and it's being revealed to us today as well. Verse number nine, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Verse 10, this is the new stuff tonight. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of Him. Whereof I desire... Uh, that you faint not in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us the next few minutes as we study your word. And God, I pray that you'd help me to just reveal these truths that uh, Paul was revealing to the Gentiles here at the Church of Ephesus, and really uh, these truths that have been revealed for centuries now. And Lord, I'm so thankful that uh, nothing that is in your word is hidden to us. We can find out the truth. Um, and I'm so thankful for, for Paul's writings I'm so thankful for the humility behind it and and just the joy that he had, even in the midst of his situation, the difficulty. Uh, I can't even imagine going through what he went through and being in prison and being put in prison falsely and slandered and, again, just shipwrecked and beaten, uh, countless things that happened to him. And yet, he found a way to continue to share the gospel, continue to make sure that God was glorified in all that he said and did. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that same attitude in our lives, Lord, as a human being, help us to strive to be like the Apostle Paul, and more importantly, help us to strive to be like you. And what I pray that you be with us for the next few minutes as we study your Word. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. I want to start with something tonight. I, uh, in my studies, I read a lot of different commentaries and even other preachers and and different books, uh, especially when I'm studying a verse by verse thing like I'm doing in Ephesians. And and one of my favorite thus far in Ephesians is Warren Wiersbe. I really like his stuff. And and there's probably three or four other guys that I that I look to uh, throughout the week and throughout the day uh, with this. But uh, he, he gave a, a great truth in one of his uh, commentaries. I just wanted to uh, give it to us as we start. He said, Understanding the deep truths of God's Word does not give a man a big head. It gives him a broken and contrite heart. And uh, I, I wanted to start with that because I think sometimes people that have a lot of knowledge of God's Word, instead of having that, that deep, contrite heart, that broken heart, and realizing what God has done for them, what they do is they get a big head. I have all this knowledge of God. Well, really, we don't have that much knowledge of God <laughs> because there's an infinite amount of knowledge that we don't even have at our fingertips. So really, the more that we understand, and we're gonna learn some things tonight, maybe that you've never heard before. And as we learn them, it's, it's really just to open our eyes and really just to, to, to put us in awe of all that God has done for us and all that God has done for his church. Again, last week, we started to unlock this mystery that had been hid for the ages. It might be easy to question, why did God keep a secret about the church hidden for so many centuries? Well, the Old Testament clearly states that God will save the Gentiles through Israel, and I've talked about that. I believe that God's desire was always to save all mankind, but he used the Jews, he used Israel to be his sending agency, his light in a sense, but they chose to go a different direction. And when Jesus came, he came to break down that what? What was that? Yes, that wall, that dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and Gentiles and help all mankind know and realize that uh, the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is for all mankind. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ came and did that. And if you're saved tonight, I hope you're thankful that Jesus Christ came and did that too. We don't have to strive to be a Jew if you're not a Jew tonight. All you have to do is strive to be like Jesus Christ, and that's it, making sure that you're saved. Uh, But these riches that Paul is talking about here in in verse number 8, as we already read, uh, just an amazing thing, these unsearchable, untraceable riches that God has given us. And as we talked last week, remember everything that Paul did, he did by the grace of God. Everything we should do in our lives, we should do as well by the grace of God. And and this thought of grace has really been overwhelming me yet again. Uh, two years ago, back in 2017, around this time, I think I had started a series on grace. And uh, we're going to be finishing up our series on Reset uh, this coming Sunday. It's about resetting our hands, and it's really all those things will flow together. And then two weeks, the first of September, that first Sunday, we're going to be starting a new series on grace, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, I've got some new information, because really, there's so much in the Bible about grace that we can never even cover. Uh, I think the series title is just Limitless, because God's grace is limitless. It's unending. It's unmatchless, and, and I'm so excited about starting that, so you don't want to miss any Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, ever. You just don't want to miss it all, all right? So just always be here. That's my plug for being in church, all right? Uh, But anyway, because of that grace of God, we ought to be defined by grace, because we've been saved by grace. Remember back in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? What did Paul say back in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nothing we can do can save us. It's only the grace of God that saves us. So because of that, as we mentioned last week, and, and what Paul was saying here in those first nine verses, he was empowered by grace. We are empowered to share the gospel because of the grace of God. We're also lavished with grace. All the unsearchable riches of Christ and being joint heirs to the riches of Christ is just an amazing thing. And as, as I had mentioned, and I'll mention at the end of the message as well, what are we supposed to do with that grace? I had that little illustration for us last week. Anybody remember that? What are we supposed to do? Yes, sort it out what? Yes, share it. Yes, yeah, share it. Dispense, that's what I was looking for. Be a dispenser. Of grace, I had that little Pez dispenser, and then I ran out. Obviously, my Pez dispenser was not limitless, but God's grace is limitless, and that's what we're supposed to do with grace. The more grace that pours in our life, and more grace pours in our life every day, the more grace we're supposed to pour out. And again, this thought has been overwhelming me because I've even thought this in my life: how much grace should I give to this person? Well, how much grace has been given to me? It's a sobering thought. It's a of thought. It's a challenging thought. Because God has given me so much more than I deserve. And if any of us are truthful, He's given you so much more than you deserve, right? So if He's given you so much more than you deserve, His grace just keeps flowing in your life. If you're a Christian, what should you do with that grace? Hoard it? Keep it to yourselves? No. Keep freely giving it out. What if they keep hurting me? What should you do? Keep pouring it out. Keep pouring it out. And again... (laughs) The grace of God is an amazing concept. Well, some people take that to the extreme. Well, because we're under grace, I can just live however I want. That's the wrong concept entirely. And that's another message for another day. But furthermore, we're to be a dispenser of God's grace because of the abundance of grace that God has given us. His grace keeps flowing in us and should flow out of us. And as we come to verse 10, it's one of those, I guess I like the word epic. It's one of those epic verses It's one of those verses that you might not fully comprehend as you first look at it. Let me go ahead and read it. To the intent. What is intent? Anybody know what intent means? There's a lot of definitions you can probably give for that. What does intent mean? What you mean to do? Yes. Uh, I guess a simple definition, whether it's in your notes or not. There's only a couple blanks to fill out, so if you just want to actually take notes, that'd be great. Uh, But intent is really this. It's a design or a purpose so the, there's a purpose behind what everything that Paul's been saying here. So he's again unlocking what? What is he unlocking in these verses? The mystery. Yes, someone someone said it like they were trying to say it. Didn't know what they should say it. Yes, he's been trying to unlock the mystery, the mystery that had been hidden from all creation from the beginning of creation until now, when when God had or bestowed it upon Paul and the apostles to give out to mankind and uh, to help them understand that I came to, to break that dividing wall and save Jew and Gentile to save all mankind. But that doesn't stop there. The mystery has continued to be unlocked. So what we see here is this intent. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. What are the principalities and powers in heavenly places? This is a tough question. Yes, the angels, the angelic beings. This is talking about good angels and bad angels, the ones that have fallen. And again, that's another study entirely in and of itself. I'm going to break down this verse tonight, but here's what this verse is telling me, or telling us. Let me, let me read it again. Let me read verses 10 and 11, and I'll give a quick synopsis of this verse, and then we'll just really try to unpack it. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Does so anybody know what this verse is talking about now? Probably most of you had no clue. It's okay. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's the first blank here. An eternal purpose. An eternal purpose. An eternal purpose. But here's the synopsis of this verse. Here's what gets me so excited about this passage tonight. What we do as a church is on display to heavenly beings because of the manifold riches of God's grace. It might not make sense, but it will make sense by the end of this message. What I mean by that is this. God's creation, I mean, when I'm talking about God's creation, I'm talking about the angelic beings, are taking note of what we're doing. Did you realize that? They are watching our lives. They are watching His church. And again, it's it's an amazing thing as we reveal this tonight. The angels, the angelic beings are in a sense looking down at us, learning of God's plan unfolding through us, the church. This principalities and powers in heavenly places, angelic beings that are created by God that are both good and bad. Ephesians chapter one, verse 21 talks about that. Six verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but who is our fight against? The principalities, those powers, those spiritual wickedness. Our, re- our, our, our fight is not necessarily against another human. Our fight is against all those rulers of the darkness. Now, we need to understand something. We need to understand that angels are created beings, and this means they are not omniscient. I want you to get that. I want you to understand that. I think sometimes we give angelic beings too much credit. Again, this study is not on angels tonight. But angelic beings are a creation of the Creator. There's only one person in the world that is omniscient. And omniscient means all knowing. Who is that person? God and his son, Jesus Christ, right? So everything that is created by God is not omniscient, which means they don't know everything. And again, it's, it's very hard for us sometimes to, to grasp that because I've even been guilty of this in the sense that we think, oh, they just know everything. Well, they know what God has revealed to them, what God has given to them. So again, understand that angels are not omniscient. In fact, Peter even indicated that during the Old Testament period, the angels were curious about God's plan of salvation then being worked out on Earth. Turn, turn quickly. I'll just show this to you tonight quickly. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one verses ten through twelve. You can grab it if you need to. Aaron. <laughs> First Peter chapter one verses ten through twelve. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. "...who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not of themselves, but to us they did minister. The things which are now reported unto you by them have been preached by the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven," this is important, "...which things the angels desire to look into." They're looking into because they're trying to figure it out. Certainly the angels rejoice, as it says in Luke 15, when a sinner is saved. But Paul is suggesting that the angels are watching the activities of the local assembly. And by the local assembly, what do I mean? The church, exactly. 1 Corinthians 4.9, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as if it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Our lives are on display, so let's continue on. What do the angels learn from the church? Anybody have an answer? It's right there in the verse. The manifold wisdom of God. What do the angels learn from the church? The manifold wisdom of God. The word manifold comes from the ancient Greek word. not even going to give it a try, because I'm sure I'm going to mess it up again. But it's an ancient Greek word, (laughs) which carries the idea of intricacy complexity great beauty another meaning of this word manifold in the greek is many colored you see a flower that has a lot of colors it's very beautiful right you see a woven tapestry or you know colorful thing it's it's very very beautiful so what this is doing it's suggesting the beauty and variety of god's wisdom god's wisdom is very beautiful and there's a variety of god's wisdom in his great plan of salvation let me let me just read a couple commentaries tonight to really help sink this in, because I'm sure some of you guys are lost, and I, I'm sure, I, I promise that, hopefully it'll try to make sense as we finish up tonight. Warren Weir'sby said this, certainly the angels know about the power of God as seen in his creation, but the wisdom of God as seen in his creation, the church is something new to them. Why would the wisdom of God, why would the church be something new to them? Because the church was established with who? Jesus and his disciples. Well after creation, right? All right, let's continue on. Jesus hadn't revealed that plan to them. Unsaved men, including wise philosophers, look back at God's plan of salvation and consider it foolishness. But the angels watch the outworking of God's salvation and they praise his wisdom. Paul called it manifold wisdom, which carries the idea of many colored. But there's another facet to this truth that must be explored. What are the evil angels learning from God's mystery? This is good. Here's what they're learning that their leader, Satan, does not have any wisdom, except for the wisdom that's given from God. Satan knows the Bible. He understood from the Old Testament scriptures that the Savior would come, when he would come, how he would come, as far as redemption is concerned. But nowhere in the Old Testament would Satan find any prophecies specifically concerning the church and the mystery that hadn't been revealed, because God kept it a secret. It's one of the greatest secrets ever kept, because it was from God. So nowhere in the Old Testament can Satan find the prophecies concerning the church, the mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles being united into one body. Satan could see unbelieving Jews rejecting their Messiah. He could see Gentiles trusting the Messiah, but he could see both believing Jews and Gentiles united into one body, seated with Christ in the heavenlies and completely victorious over Satan. Had Satan known the far-reaching results of the cross, no doubt, maybe he would have never altered into his plans accordingly. Let's break this down even more. As the gospel spreads throughout the world, this new and diverse Christian community develops, a a community of both Gentiles and Jews, which means there's going to be a lot of diversity, right? A lot of diversity is going to be within the church. How is it diverse? Because of the Jew and the Gentile and the wall being broken down. Here's what another, another commentary said, and again, I promise this will make sense. John Stott, great preacher of the past, He said, it's as if the great drama is being enacted. History is now a theater. The world is the stage. The church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play and he directs it and produces it. Act by act, scene upon scene, the story continues to unfold. But who is the audience? Angelic beings are watching things unfold and are mere spectators in the drama of salvation." Our knowledge of angelic beings is limited to what the Bible tells us, and since we know that they're not omniscient, they don't have all the wisdom of God. They are merely God's messengers to us. Joseph Dillo, in his book *The Reign of the Servant King*, gives one possible solution to why we, as Christians, as the Church, are teaching the angels. Listen, he says, and it's one man's opinion. He says a universal tragedy had occurred. the morning star known as, who was the morning star? Anybody? Lucifer. Good job. Lucifer, God's perfect one, full of wisdom and beauty. The angelic being whom God had appointed as ruler of the ancient cosmos had fallen. Lucifer had given, been given everything, yet he became proud. He concluded that God's gifts were more important than the giver. The dependence upon God and obedience to his revealed were not necessary. He became the Satan, God's adversary, and was cast to the earth. And the angels looked on and the Lord declared, "We shall give this rebellion a thorough trial. We shall permit it to run full course. The universe shall see what a creature or what a creature, even the greatest can do apart from God. We shall set up an experiment and permit the universe of creatures to watch it in spite of the independence, shall be allowed to expand to the utmost. And the wreck and ruin which shall result will demonstrate to the universe and forever that there is no life, no joy, no peace apart from complete dependence on the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was the evening and the morning and the evening and the morning were the first day. At last, again, this is this, this writer's thoughts on this. Michael, God's archangel, said, Our Lord will once again rule here. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock of the earth, and all the creatures that are both living on the sea and on the ground. But Michael said, What is this? A man? This creature is so weak, so inferior to Satan. Why has the king placed him in Satan's world, and told him to rule there. How can such an insignificant creature, much lower than the angels, possibly accomplish the divine purpose? Surely a great mistake has been made. And the book continues. We don't have time to read it all tonight, but the book is not a story. It's actually explaining how God had set up the world so that those who serve him will reign. And one of the points that he makes in the book is that those who are least actually become what? greatest, right? The most. Greatness does not come through pride and conquest as Satan believes. Greatness comes through service and humility, as Jesus demonstrated. And this one man's study is, again, in his view, and it may or may not be correct, but here's what we know for sure, and get this down. This is in your notes. The church, this is very important, church, the church is the central goal of history. The church is the central goal of history. On God's list of priorities, the church is numeral uno. Number one, God's reason for creating the universe was to create the church, which is the mystery kept hidden for ages and generation. And here, get this down. The purpose of the church, or one of the purposes of the church, was to teach the angels. How many knew that? All right. said, so how many knew that? <laughs> not many of us. I, honestly, it's been revealed to me as I've, as I've studied this. And it's not me trying to reach. This is exactly what the Bible is saying here. To the intent. Let me read that again. To the intent, to the purpose, to the desire. And now to the principalities and powers. This is talking about <coughs> angelic beings. Might be made known. What's the next three words? Verse number 10. I'm in Ephesians chapter one. By the church. So the church... It's our job, the church's job, the Christian's job, to teach those angelic beings the manifold wisdom of God because they don't have all the wisdom. So the summary of this verse is this. What we do as a church is on display to heavenly beings of the manifold riches of God's grace. So that means the church is absolutely valuable to God's purpose. Let me ask this question. It's a deep-thinking question. What kind of church would Eagle Drive be if every member were just like you? Anybody want to answer? (laughs) Probably not. What kind of church would Eagle Drive be if every member were just like you? I'm not taking answers. Think about that. What kind of church would Eagle Drive be if every member were just like you? Yeah. <laughs> Would be, could be, possibly, yes. So think about that. Now, the church is God's central goal for history. The church is very important to God. We are members of His church as, as Christians, this local assembly. It's very valuable to God. God is working through us, through His church, all these local assemblies, uh, advancing one eternal pers- purpose, to advance His kingdom to reveal the mystery to others and to reveal it to the angels. The church is the reason in which which, why the universe was created. What you have in Christ, who you are in Christ, is greater than anything you could possibly imagine. And one of the reasons that so many churches are weak and ineffective is because they don't understand what they have in Christ and who they are in Christ. So what we see here, first of all, is there is an eternal display or eternal purpose, Sorry. An eternal to purpose. As it says in verse number 11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, the eternal purpose for the church is in a sense to help teach the angels so that they can see and learn and understand why God created everything, why God gave salvation. And and really, I I think it kind of goes back to that author to realize that all dependence should be directed on Who? God, Jesus Christ, that's something anyone should know. All dependence should be directed back to Jesus Christ, back to God. Even Satan, all the gifts that he was given is just a creation, right? He's not the creator. Everything that he has is limited because he's not the all-powerful one. God is. God is the one that's orchestrating everything. And he's using the church to fulfill his purpose to teach mankind who is in charge who is in control, that everything focuses back on Him. Everything is all about Him. And the angels are even learning this. They didn't know this in the beginning because God had created them as beings to to serve Him, to to worship Him, to, uh, to, to be messengers of Him, but they didn't have all the wisdom. It wasn't revealed to them. It was revealed to us, and now they're taking note. So in a sense, and it's not a spooky thing, but the angels are watching what the church is doing. So don't you think it's very important that the church is doing what God wants them to do? Because what kind of testimony are we giving to the angelic beings if we're not doing what God has called us to do? Yes. They're not saved, no. But they're watching to gain the wisdom, the understanding of what is going on. Why would God create man? Why would God do this? Because God didn't give them the wisdom at first. So he's revealing it just like the world didn't have the wisdom of why the church's purpose was until he had given it to Paul and the apostles. Once he gave it to Paul and the apostles, it was revealed that I came to be that dividing wall or break down that dividing wall so that Jew and Gentile could be saved. All mankind could be saved. And one of the purposes of the church is yes, to glorify God, to advance his kingdom, to share the gospel. That is important, church. Understand that. I'm not diminishing that. I'm not preaching false doctrine here. But another purpose of the church is that we didn't realize we are teaching and instructing the angels. You study your Bible, and I promise you, you'll see that. There's verses, and I can give you some more verses after church tonight. But what we see secondly in this is this. In eternal acceptance. In eternal acceptance. Look at verse number 12. It says, In whom we have, what's the next word? Boldness and access with confidence. By the faith of Him, Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. These three words, boldness, which means we have freedom or liberty to speak to Christ. Access, we have full admittance. Confidence, we have confidence that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. So the privilege we have in Christ is that we can have boldness. I think these are in your notes. To come before God in prayer. Access to the throne of grace. We can come before God with confidence. All this is through faith alone in christ alone verse 13 wherefore i desire that you faint not at my tribulation for your for you which is your glory so paul is kind of ending this parenthesis area before he gets in the prayer part this part that he was just trying to help them understand and reveal this mystery and again it's chapters one through three are very deep theologically and I'm, i'm trying to give as much as we can without just blowing our minds away but it's very deep theologically because chapters four through six is what? The application of it all. Applying what we've learned, our understanding, and actually living out the gospel. You can't just preach you know, theological you know, deep doctrines and never give the application of it. So that's what he did in the last half of the book, which I'm excited about getting to. But when Paul says here in verse 13, wherefore I desire that you faint not and my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Why is Paul afraid that they may faint? Here's the answer. Because of his suffering. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? In prison, in jail. So when you think about it, now, not going off the deep end, but when you think about it, (laughs) it's kind of a crazy thought, but whose fault is it that Paul is in jail? What? No. Yes, it's kind of a weird question, but whose fault is it in a sense that Paul is in jail? what? Yes. Here's what I mean. And it's a crazy thought. The Gentiles. Here's what I mean. Why would it be the Gentiles fault? Because he's preaching to them, right? He's a Jew. He could have been like, no, 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 God, I don't want to go to the Gentiles. I'm a Jew. I'm only going to go to the Jews. And I'm not saying he's blaming them, but in a sense, it's kind of their fault. So what he's trying to help them understand is don't feel sorry for me. Because I'm just doing what God has called me to do and I, my suffering it's okay because the gospel is being advanced, people are being saved and that it's a, it's a amazing thought could we have that same attitude of Paul if if we had to be put in prison and and knowingly it's in a sense it's someone's fault because uh, let's put a missionary you know we, we have these missionaries that they believe they were called to go to China or India or Hawaii or San Francisco and and they get put in jail or you know imprisoned in a sense It's their fault, but if you have the attitude of Paul, it's you know I'd gladly do it all over again because the gospel is being Preached the gospel is being proclaimed People are being saved. So what he's saying as he's closing this section up is that hey I don't want you to faint. I don't want you to stop. I don't want you to give up I don't want you to be discouraged. Don't worry about me (laughs) Focus on who you're supposed to be in Christ. And that amazing attitude. I, I don't know if I could have that attitude. I, I hope and pray I could. But here, here's what he's getting to, and I'll, I'll close here in just a minute. He doesn't want them to anchor their hopes in him because he wasn't always going to be there for them. But there is someone that always would be for them, which is Christ. You see, here's what he's saying. This goes back to that Identity your identity is not in me. Who's your identity in or who should your identity be in? Christ, Jesus. Your identity should not be in Paul. That's what he's telling the church at Ephesus. Your identity is not in your past. He's already talked about that. Your identity is not in your preacher. It's not in the spiritual leader. It's not in your family. It's not in the one who led you to Christ. Your identity is in Christ and that is it. If you base your Christianity and growth on anyone, then you're setting yourself up for failure outside of Jesus Christ. Your faith must be anchored to Him. You know, I, I count it a privilege and honor that I get to, to lead the church and Bible studies and prayer and preaching and, and teaching. It, it's a great honor, but I'm just the one that's here to try to equip you and help you. If you anchor your identity on me, and many preachers have had that happen to them, that the people anchor their identity on them and and when the pastor has fallen, which it happens, then they stray. But that's not biblical. Your identity shouldn't be in a man. It should be in Jesus Christ. And I've shared this before, even as a youth pastor, when I left Indiana, and it was it was hard. It was very tough to leave Indiana. It was very tough to leave the youth group that we had there. The Lord was really growing it and building it up. And when I went to Colorado, some of the kids just didn't understand. And I, I get that. I, I understood that. It was very, very hard for me to to take that step of faith in my wife, even though we were going to to her family. It was even hard for her to do that. And I had some that blamed me when they started falling. Well, Brother Chris, it's your fault that I am the way I am right now. Sorry you feel that way, but it's not my fault. And I I tried to preach that. I probably didn't do as eloquently as I do now, and I still don't do that very eloquently. But it's not up to me where your spiritual life is. It's up to you. I'm just trying to equip you and help you grow and help you understand things that you've never heard and understood. I'm just trying to reveal some some maybe hidden secrets that you didn't quite understand. So what, what I'm saying is, you follow me as I follow Christ, right? That's what Paul said. And if I stop following Christ, then you should stop following me and you should follow Christ, but not another man. So, we can't just base our identity on, well, this person is so special to me. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be thankful for people, but I think sometimes we take too much we take too much stock into someone. Does that make sense? Well, they're they're a huge impact on my life. No, they're just they're just a vessel. They're just an instrument. It all goes back to Christ. Because he's the one that's growing you. And I think I've even seen it through some of the discipleship classes and that band app that many are on. It's everything, all the growth has nothing to do with me or any teacher It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. So understand that. We'll be closing out this portion of the letter here in just a couple weeks and then transitioning into chapter four through six, but we have to understand who we are, what God has done for us. We have to make sure that our identity is fastened and secured and anchored in Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing truth. All believers are to be faithful stewards of this great truth, this sacred secret that was so important to Paul. That's why he had to tell them. He had to tell the Gentiles. And it's now in our hands. And here's the core truth. God's mystery has been unfolded to His church. And it's our job to carry out His message to be stewards of the grace that he's given us so that we can continue to dispense grace to the world. And going back to the earlier part of the message, and I, it might have confused some people, but really the, the main point I want us to understand is that the church is a very, very valuable place in God's eyes. And if it's so valuable to God, shouldn't it be as valuable to us? It should. It should. And we make sure that all of our actions are on display for angelic beings as well as the world around us. We're a demonstration of Christ. We're a picture of Christ. We're dispensing Christ whether we want to or not. So what are we dispensing? Are we dispensing His grace? Are we dispensing something we don't want others to see? That question, if every member in the church were just like you. How would this church be? That's a sobering thought. And really, I just want us to to understand how important the church is and our role as a church to understand who we are in Christ, whose we are in Christ, and understand that we have to do everything we can to live a life that is pleasing, honoring to Jesus Christ. As we said, even on Sunday, making sure our voices reset to share his gospel. And that's what Paul was doing here. He was sharing the glorious gospel, the good news that Jesus had given to him. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for my sufferings. I'm just thankful that I get to be a participant. (laughs) Amazing truth. God's mystery has been unfolded to his church. And it's our job as a Christian, part of this local assembly, this body of believers, to carry out his message and be stewards of the grace that he's given us so we can continue to dispense grace.